Number three, your most disappointing player thus far. I'm going to go off the board, and I'm actually going to say... What? Yes. What's up, and welcome to the Crude Oil Podcast, a weekly uncensored Edmonton Oilers podcast with your hosts, Sean and Greg. What's up, and welcome back to the Crude Oil Podcast. It is episode number 30, the Bill Ranford episode. And I mean, we could go on this list for days. I mean, I don't know about days. There's, what, nine players, all of which are goalies? Yeah, I know, but name another number that we've got that's more consistent with, like, actually, like, meh players. That's true. We or got... better than meh players, rather. Then again, is Ben Scrivens better than meh? Is UC Marketing better than meh? He was, like, he was the golden child in, in like, our... A single game? <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, he'll go down in, like, Edmonton Oilers lore just for that one game against San Jose. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, welcome back. Happy New Year, Sean. Good to see your face. Uh, <laughs> glad we're doing this in person. Yeah, I'm sure people who are regular listeners are happy to be hearing regular voices this time around. So it didn't sound great last week. Uh, we're no, we're not uh, hiding that. Uh, we found out that the other person that recorded this podcast had a 10 times better sounding episode. So I think we learned our lesson. There was a mixture of miscommunication and mixture of last second panicking when it wasn't sounding great and i forgot that i recorded it as well well this is why we don't get paid for this yet <laughs> exactly <laughs> uh lots to talk about this uh this past week uh a bunch of games i'm gonna be honest i was in a shit mood leaving work i was in a shit mood after the oilers game last week and looking at this list it just puts me back in a shit mood like i'm trying to be one of those people who doesn't let hockey impact their mood so Obviously, I'm mad about the way the team has been playing. Um, just for reference, the team in this week since we last recorded has a record of 1-2-1 one, and one, with a win against the Islanders where they played great, to be fair. But that is sandwiched in between a 5-2 loss to the Kraken where they blew 2-0 lead, a 3-2 overtime loss to the Avalanche where they blew a 2-0 lead, and a 6-3 shellacking by the Kings. Where they just blew. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it, uh, I, I don't want to start this podcast. Pod <laughs> We're British now. I, I finally got my <laughs> voice back and I can't use my words. Um, it's uh, I don't want to start the podcast in such a negative tone, but like it just it feels like this team just can't get anything. The wheels just keep spinning, man. And I don't know. It sucks when you're blowing leads like that. The blown leads... To me, especially the two blown leads essentially in a row with that Islanders game, whatever. Um, but that's just unforgivable. Um, of those two games, before we get into all the other stuff, like of those two games that you blew a 2 nothing lead in, which one hurt the most to you? I'm going to say the Avalanche game. Yes. But Edmonton, in my opinion, played significantly worse in that Avalanche game. Like yeah. The whole time I was watching... It felt like the only reason it was even remotely close was Stuart Skinner. That's why I felt, I think it felt worse for me, is how well Stuart Skinner played that night. Like, um, at what point can the team, like, help a goalie out when they're playing great? Mm-hmm. 
Like our goal, like with Skinner, for example, he needs to like make fifty saves to even have a chance to win the games lately. Well, that's what it, like that's why it's starting to feel like dog shit. Because like any time that you're expecting a good performance out of your goaltender, he's getting like. 40, 40 plus shots. Like we can't get a stellar performance out of our goaltending duo under twenty shots. It just doesn't happen. And I think a lot of it just has to do with the quality of chances that they have. Well, and the quality of the chances they all come right. from the goddamn decor and their complete brain farts in the defensive zone. Yeah, I'm I'm getting over this. This is. It's getting old, man. Like, I, I watched through the highlights this morning of all these games just to refresh myself, and it felt like every single goal was a complete collapse by the team that resulted in, like, a grade-A chance for the other team. Where, to be fair, like, say, in the Colorado game, Skinner was saving, like, 90% of those. Right. But eventually, they were going to score a couple of those. And you see the McKinnon goal, and especially the McCarr goal as well, like, what are you going to do when the team just gives up on the play, has terrible gap control, just doesn't put in an effort, gives the puck away, fails to clear the puck, and it's the same thing night in, night out. Nothing's changing. Yeah. Which, at the end of the day, that's the thing that is, I'll say, scaring me the most about this team is it's the definition of insanity where they're doing the same shit over and over and over again. No signs of improvement. Well, so that's why I think this is a good segue. I know we've got a lot of stuff to talk about, but this is top of mind to me, and I'm not sure whether or not you got to see it, but uh, the game against LA last night, and you talk about the team giving up. Like, I don't know if this is sinking into Connor McDavid's game. I don't know if it's sinking into Dreisaitl's game, but you can start to see the frustration on their team. Obviously, the closed-door meeting that they had earlier this week, they're not happy with it, but there was... I think they were down 5-3 at that point in the third period with a power play, like four, three, three and a half, four minutes left in the game. And McDavid and Dreisaitl, like that top unit was out there, and they couldn't get anything going. Like three entries into the zone absolute dog shit effort and nothing got set up and then i think there's like close to 55 seconds odd left in the power play and bouchard sitting there at the top of his own like circles waiting for them to come off Connor mcdavid's just like skating with no effort back to the bench i'm not putting all of the blame on that but it just looked like a group that was just fed up you see dry sidle skating i swear to god they wasted like 15 seconds getting a fucking line out on the ice with bouchard just standing there like are they giving up on each other? Are they just frustrated? I don't know. I would argue that the top players maybe are getting frustrated with everybody else at this point, especially when like they're pulling the offensive load, for example. You'd hope that guys like McLeod, Yamamoto, Derek Ryan, these guys can pull the defensive load, especially on the penalty kill, for example, where even McDavid and Drysaddle are getting some PK time. But they really just aren't. Like, if you look at these losses that they had, it's like Edmonton scored two goals, two goals, and three goals. Like, with the way that they've been playing, that's not enough to win a game. They need to score four goals or more, really, to be competitive in any of these games. And I'm willing to look at the Kings game last night and brush it off as, like, just a special teams disaster on both ends. Yeah. Uh, it was It was terrible. But on the other side of the coin, like Edmonton has 
been what are they like the bottom two penalty kill in the nhl right now to be fair in the past like 10 games they've been quite solid on the pk outside of last night well and I then the seattle game too up. though yeah they had only given up like two power play goals in the last 10 games on like 20 chances or something like that meanwhile their power play just had a rough night and similar it's like yes they had a shit night on the power play but it's hard to like look at the fact that our power plays first in the league and be like, oh, it's the power play's fault. Right. That's why we're not winning games. Like, no. It's it's funny. You look at the special teams, and I, I'm not saying that. The Oilers are not great 5-on-5. Five five. They never have been. Um, but when you have a elite power play and you have a very bottom-of-the-road like uh, penalty kill, you're going to have a very meh product at the end of things. Well, and it sucks to rely on the power play so hard when our PK has been fairly lackluster and our five-on-five play is abysmal and you have to lean on that in the playoffs and that doesn't work because generally it feels like the games are chippier and there's less power plays. Though there are some stats that show that there's actually more penalties called in the playoffs than there is in the regular (laughs) season. But I I digress. I'd like to see that report, but... um... The one thing I wanted to bring up, since we're on the topic of uh, special teams, but I found the game in L.A. and Colorado in particular, I don't know if I'm just starting to pay attention to this, but you can argue consistency, inconsistency, whatever you, you feel, but I just feel like these fucking games are getting the life dragged out of them with all of these penalties. Like, the amount of calls in all of these games just seem to be getting higher and higher, it just kills the flow, and, like, the games are twice as long. Not twice as long, but you know what I mean, right? It does like, make the games feel longer, and I did see the stat that Edmonton has had the most power plays in the league this season. Sorry, I'm drinking this club soda. It's making me <laughs> want to burp really bad. But, um, yeah, they have the most power plays in the league. They have the best power play percentage, so they're oh, getting... Oh, look out, Colorado. <laughs> well, they're getting a fair share of their power play goals this season. And obviously, their five-on-five play, especially against Colorado, like, has just been disgusting. Yeah. And it's not even remotely league average. It's easily bottom three in the league. Yep. They should be a lottery team with the way they're playing at five-on-five, but they just get bailed out by that power play and by what by extension, the top yeah. players. Yeah. Meanwhile, the bottom players just aren't doing much. Like, I know we had some depth scoring in the past few games. Like, uh, the Islanders game, Holloway scored. Um, is that the only one I could think of? That's the only one. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Yamamoto it's... scored against uh, LA, I think, with the two. Yamamoto's starting to pick things up a little bit. I'm starting to notice that. To be fair, just on my way here, I was listening to 1260, and they were tearing Yamamoto apart because he was one of the main factors on three of the power play goals against for well, something that he did incorrectly. Yeah, I mean, power play... I, I'm just more so talking about the thing that Yamo struggled with all year, which is the, the actual point production. Um, the, whole, the whole fucking penalty kill needs an overhaul. Like, it's, it's nuts. And, of course, like, you listen around to people calling in and you start to hear... Um, just some of the takes clearly this fan base is is frustrated but like we can't be seriously talking about firing jay woodcroft right now are we well i think the only reason they would be considering that for example not the team itself but other fans is that they're looking at they're looking at the system as a whole being the issue because the defense especially if you look at nurse and cc have been 
absolutely abysmal mm-hmm. this season, especially in these last couple games. I saw, I think it was a, it was like the game impact chart by Dom. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck his last name is. I know who is. you're talking about. There's too. too many Y's in there. I yeah, can't yeah. pronounce it. But anyways, it showed CC and Nurse at the bottom with the t- worst impact in the game by a mile. And if you watch the game, like the McKinnon goal against Colorado, CC just got absolutely burned and Nurse couldn't recover to help him out in time. And then in overtime, Nurse was like the D-man back against Makar. And he left like a 10-foot gap between him and Makar the whole time until Makar got to walk in and shoot. Yeah. Like whether or not that was the right play, I don't know. I'm not an NHL defenseman. Right. But it felt like he did not have a good enough gap to even reach in and get a stick on the puck, for example, to try and break that up. Now, here's Greg with his tinfoil hat, and he's put it on top, and this might sound outlandish, but I'm just voicing this because I, we're never going to know the real story because the coach isn't going to tell you this, but I don't think that he has full autonomy on this team, and I think we've seen it before with the, like, fucking roundhouse of coaches that, like, high-five each other on the way out, like, good luck, it... They get they get a little leeway with the team. Run your team the way you want it, uh, and then something changes. Like, Jay Woodcroft is not managing this team the way he used to. He, we just recently saw him go back to 11-7 and seven for, like, the first time since fucking last year. Um, to what extent do you think that there might be an influence somewhere in the organization? It's like, okay, you're clearly struggling. Here's what you need to do. And as a coach, you're just, like, running with that. I'm not saying... It could come from Holland. It could come from higher than that. Um, I'm not saying that that's what's actually going on. But is there a possibility that Ken Holland's like, look, we're paying this guy X amount of dollars. He's getting X amount of minutes. It sounds to me as though that those fingers are be, being pointed at Nurse being paid $9 million and let's say Drysidle being paid $8 million. Be like, these players are going to be in the all situations Nurse is going to be on the number one pair. Look at the playoffs last year. He may not have been physically capable to be our number one defenseman, but they're like, he's being paid the big bucks. He's going to be playing those minutes. Right. And you might be right. That's, I don't know if it's Holland, but it feels like there's at least pressure from ownership somewhere or upper management. You could even look as high as Daryl Cates or Bob Nicholson, for example. I don't know how hands-on those guys are with the team, I would think that they're not very hands-on just because I feel like that's they why they would bring in a guy like Holland. Mm-hmm. But I don't really think that they'd be telling them how to run the team and how to play their players. Yeah. They might give them the players and tell them you have to play with these players, but that's more of a cap management situation. So they kind of have to play it that way. And just it, like when Kane comes back, they're going to have to run a 22 man roster because they can't run 23 with his salary. Yeah. It's, it's a, uh, it's a great point. Um, because they're going to have to make those changes regardless. I, yeah, I'm not like, I don't think I would say probably 10% of my brain's like, Oh yeah, maybe, maybe this is a legitimate thing. But, I mean, if they want to showcase a guy, he's going to get a little bit more ice time. I think you've seen it recently in weeks. Like, this coaching team, coaching, like, crew has no confidence in Yesa Puliyarvi anymore. And Does anybody have confidence in Yesa Puliyarvi? N- no. <laughs> but um, I, I'm just 
thinking that you're starting to see it reflected in their minutes. So, like, I know I'm kind of walking back what I just said because you're also seeing the fact of the elevation of Stuart Skinner. Like, he's getting the minutes, which I'm so happy to see because I feel in years past, um, it's probably a tippet thing, like throwing the guy making more, the veteran, in because he's the veteran and he makes more money. But um, I don't know. I just... There's just been some points where I've had like had to take a, a step back and scratch my head and be like, okay, why if this isn't working, why are we still doing it? So I I don't know. Well, it makes you wonder like why it seems as though Nurse and Cece, for example, have been god awful paired together this year, and have we really seen a single moment where they've even considered switching up that top pairing? That's exactly the the example I was going to use. And I'm not going to because... suggest like I'm going to bring up. Um, DeHarnay, for example, because he just re- recently got called up and you're talking mm-hmm. about showcasing players and stuff. So I assume against Anaheim, they're going to be playing 11 and 7 because he's supposed to make, be making his debut because they want to see what he has. Um, and that also maybe plays into Kane coming back and the salary stuff. So let's say, for example, DeHarnay comes in, plays very, very well defensively. Would they consider trading one of those right-handed defensemen of theirs playing DeHarnay with Nurse Mm. or something like that. I'm not saying that he should be playing top pairing minutes, but let's just say perfect world. Then that gets rid of some salary. They can play 23-man roster because DeHarnay's salary is significantly less than any of CeCe, Bouchard, and Barry. And that kind of solves all their problems. But I feel like, once again, that's like a Band-Aid situation and a hope and a prayer, just kind of like this season in general was right where we thought bringing in Yanmark and Campbell and anybody else. I can't remember. Yeah. Off the top of my head, nothing (laughs) like we bring in these guys and think, yes, that's the answer. This is what's going to make the difference on this team. It's, it's funny because like at the start of this year, we were so happy to be going in with the team that we basically left with last year. And I feel like it, it was a good thing, but Maybe we just had a lot of guys working at a higher clip than they had, like in the tank. Maybe it was an above average year for every, well, a majority of the players. Like, well, like maybe you, this is a recession to the mean. I think some players are taking a step forward this year. True. Like yeah, you yeah. look at like Nugent Hyman, for example. Both of them offensively have taken a huge step forward from last year, but they also expected a lot of guys to either maintain the pace or exceed what they had done in the prior year. Mm-hmm. Like, they expected Nurse and CeCe to maintain being a solid pairing that they can match up against anybody. They expected Yamamoto and Pugliarvi to be good secondary scoring, able to put up 20 goals in the during the year without any number one power play time. Yeah. And these guys just haven't met those expectations. Yep, yep, very true. Um, on the topic of defensemen... Uh, probably the guy that we would love to come back and fill this hole, uh, Oscar Clefbaum. We do have an update. Well, at least from the, what are we, third, fourth hand at this point? But. Uh, yeah, pretty much. So I can't remember who this tweet was by, but they chatted with Adam Larson, who had recently met up with Oscar Clefbaum during the summer and saying Oscar's doing well, um, and he's pretty much just wrapping his head around what he's going to be doing after hockey. So I think... All in all, it kind of closes the book on anybody with that very, very stretch of a hope that Clefbaum's going to come back. It's not going to happen. Yeah. She's moved on. It's it's okay. It's time for us to move <laughs> it's on. It's time so. for us to move on. 
I, I mean, good for him. Um, it's just one of those things I think we're going to always look back and go, what if, with him. Well, of course, because like, people look at him and they're like, what if Clefon was healthy? Meaning, less pressure on Nurse. Would that mean Larson would have stayed? Um, it just it just brings a lot of comfort to people's minds, especially on the D, because we just don't have any answers. Which kind of brings up, what do you think is the answer to at the, this point? Uh, yeah. Like, as just an overarching, like, what can they do in the next, let's say, month uh, to improve their situation that will significantly, like, improve the team as a whole? Like, So this is going to sound like a very aged take, I think, because it's not sexy, but I think the Oilers are going to be in this little, like, little kerfuffle bubble for a little bit because I think the team's going to... I think they're going to level out. Like, I think this is a, a bottom trough for this team. Yeah, I may have said it before, but um, I, I truly believe they're missing one of their core leaders in Evander Kane coming back to the lineup. This is a guy who's also going to set a precedent for the rest of the guys in that locker room. Because if you've got more people talking shit in that room and more people that are talking shit that can back it up, I think you're going to start seeing things like... You shouldn't have Yesapuli Yarvi leading your fucking team in fights right now. Hey, to be fair, he's a, tied with Kossin now. He's still. And like, maybe Hyman. Actually, I think Kossin might be first now, and then he's tied with Hyman for second from all those abundant fights that happened last night. Yeah. But my thing is, I think the Oilers need to hold off and wait on Kane. Um, if that means they're a 500 club, then I know we've got a, a bit of an update. Um, but I just, I don't know. Like it's one of those things that I think if you throw all of your like eggs into one basket and make a trade right now, we're still what? Two months away from the trade deadline. How many teams are going to drop out of the playoff picture in the next two months? Who's going to pop up as available? I mean, you're not wrong that some teams might be out of it by that point and be looking, but Edmonton might be one of those teams. Yeah, it's true. It's and true. They might be looking to sell because but, they're like, well, we're probably not going to make it. Fuck it. And the reason that I'm saying hold off is you get a Vander Kane back. You've got a just jumping ahead here. Uh, word that he could be ready as early as the 19th against Tampa or the 21st against Vancouver. So a couple more weeks. You get a Vander Kane back. You get a couple. If you even if you have to pull the trigger like two weeks before the deadline, you have a better idea. I just don't think. You've got too much stuff in flux right now for the Oilers to make a significantly um, meaningful move right now. I don't know. What's your thoughts? What do they need to do? I mean, I think they just need to get their heads on straight, honestly. Like, I know the defense are more capable than they have played. I just, I honestly do not understand how they have been playing mentally, just making these brain-dead plays Mm -hmm. that, like... To be fair, you're not going to see me out there doing it. But, like, these guys are NHL players, and they're playing like junior players. We kept we made the comparison in the last podcast that, like, is, like, do, does Edmonton's team play defense like a junior team, or do junior teams play defense like Edmonton? Because <laughs> they look like they just fly by the seat of their pants and don't know what's going to happen next. On-man rushes everywhere because guys are caught out of position constantly. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't make sense. And then it comes down to, like, is it a system thing? Do you look at, I'm not going to say firing Jay Woodcroft, but, like, 
What about Dave Manson? He's supposed to be running the decor. What is he doing to this decor that's apparently not working? Right. Like, what is he talking about? Like, with a guy like him, he was like a shutdown physical defenseman when he played. (laughs) And yet somehow he's got guys like playing so offensive to the point where it's a detriment to this team. That's why I'm laughing. It's such a like complete opposite of what he played. Yeah. It just doesn't make sense. Like at this point, he just needs to look at a guy like Nurse and be like, just play how I played (laughs) and you you should be okay. Here's the tapes, bud. (laughs) Yeah. And like, hey, Nurse will watch those tapes. That's kind of his thing. But it just doesn't make any sense to me what's going on with this team, to be perfectly frank. So and like they're sitting second wildcard position with 45 points just ahead of Nashville and Colorado who have three games and four games in hand respectively. So all the people screaming, Holland needs to do something now. It sounds like the both of us are like, just let's hold off a couple weeks. Am I am I wrong in that assumption? I just don't think trading for one player, like let's say we trade for Gavrikov, I just don't think that's going to make or break the defense because it feels like a systemic issue throughout the entire decor. Well, that's the thing. That one player is not going to fix. <laughs> yeah. Are you going to bring another guy and then get him to play like our defense plays? Like, I don't know. Yeah, it just doesn't seem like it. it's going to work. Maybe they bring in another guy and it's a quick jolt for a couple weeks where the guys like all come together around this new guy. But unless you're bringing in like somebody who's a top-pairing defenseman or something, it's not going to make a difference. Yeah. I hate to say it, but it's just not. Yeah. Yeah, they're, uh, you eventually rub, uh, rub off on, on the people that you surround yourself with and I mean, you're not going to get a guy who's standout come in and then just everyone's like, holy shit. Like, uh, it's just going to take time. I think it's going to take a little bit of time. I, I, I'm i going to preface that, preface, add to that, add to that, that that is not to say that the Oilers need to add. I believe they truly need to add, but just not right now. I just don't think it's beneficial. Um, moving uh, on to just some, some minor notes here. The Edmonton Oilers signing Justin Bailey. Uh, it's kind of, I didn't know what the hell was going on there. Cause they sign him. Then he gets, uh, it's just a depth signing, right? Yeah. Like, and then sending Hamlin down too. I figured there'd be a like one in one out thing, but, um, yeah, I think Bailey's just played really well and they wanted to give him an actual contract. Yeah. Maybe have him be one of the black aces. Assuming we make the playoffs. <laughs> Who knows? Absolutely. Uh, one thing I want to get into, uh, we're talking about these next couple weeks and how, uh, beneficial it can be to some people. And I think um, the clouds and the stars and the planets have aligned. If there was a better fucking time for Jack Campbell to find his game, it's right now. Well, he's going to get the chance. Yes. Because Stuart Skinner is back in Edmonton. They're still on their road trip uh, for the birth of his first child, which should be sometime soon if it yeah. hasn't already happened. Um, meaning that Campbell is going to be getting the start probably against both Anaheim and San Jose with Picard backing up. Yes. And who knows, he might even get back-to-back because they play Friday, Saturday. Yeah. So. I. Any expectations from, from Campbell? Um, Other I, than letting in the first one of three shots? Let's be optimistic and say that he <laughs> plays really well. I think in, let's say, the next three games, he starts two of them. I think in one of them, he plays very solid, team wins. Another one, he plays very solid, but the team falls short and can't win the game, so they lose like 3-2 to two or something like that. I think 
just knowing kind of the player Jack Campbell, I guess I don't know him at all, but um, I think he's the type of guy that if you can take a couple starts for him and you don't have that pressure behind you, like Jack Campbell, his entire career has been people pushing him from behind. And I mean, he succeeded at some points, but he struggled a lot and he's had an uphill battle like for his NHL career. He doesn't, no, no offense to Calvin Picard, but if this team manages their players the way they have in the past, I don't see Calvin Picard really getting a look here. No, the only way he does is potentially in the back-to-back just because of fatigue. Exactly. So if you're Jack Campbell, you have to take that into effect that like your team is relying on you. You've got nobody pushing you for your position. This is the time to shine. And I think if you can get an entire team rallying behind him and he can like absorb that and feel that... I think that builds back that confidence that it seems to be like uh, last night he let in that breakaway goal. I don't know if it was Arvidsson, whoever scored that, that I think it was goal. Kempe or something. Yeah. Like that. But like, um, in on the breakaway off of the, the CC mistake and Campbell's throwing his head back. I'm like, no, no, that's not a good, don't do that. <laughs> Listen, like, the goalie mentality is if it goes past you, it's your fault yeah. at the end of the day. Cause you're the last man back. It's just, I just hope that he gets the opportunity um, to shake it off and at least get back to like some consistent playing and minutes too, right? Yeah. Like he hasn't had that in a bit. Yeah, I'm trying to be optimistic and I hope that he plays quite good. It'll be interesting because he'll have the rookie D-man Vinny DeHarnay in front of him. <laughs> so um, I think he'll play okay though. I'm trying to be as optimistic as possible because I think that's the only way we're going to get through this rut is – a little bit of optimism. And on the plus side, we know, like we said, we know what all these players are capable of who are struggling. If they can find their game, I think we still have a solid team. Yeah, I completely agree. Completely agree. So right now, we're recording here. It's the day before. I may have mentioned this before, but the day before the uh, the Anaheim game on uh, Tuesday evening here. That puts us through 42 games of this season. So we're just... Uh, just eclipsed the the halfway point. Uh, you're sitting at a 536 uh, point percentage. Like this team's got a ways to go. I mean, if you look at top place, you're really only 11 points out, and uh, they've got games tied, I guess, with Vegas. You Seattle's really the only team that's outplaying like percentage points. They're sitting in second and they're pushing for first. So if we're looking at at where the Oilers are right now, you've got 40 games remaining you're 11 points out you still got to play a bunch of those teams ahead of you a bunch of times other than calgary i think we still got the rest well i guess seattle's done now too but um well we have one game against seattle in a week that's right yeah um but you've got some chance to to move up and especially get those uh um, points against those teams i don't think it's out of out of uh reach for them to be second third in this division at all i don't think it's unreasonable I don't like to be fair if they figure their shit out they're not so far back that first is not out of the question in the division like obviously it's a huge stretch and it's probably not going to happen but with what we know the team's capable of capable of they can do that yeah uh and just to that point um kind of that grouping of the the shuffling teams like the Oilers are at the bottom of it Mm mm-hmm and then the rest separates them. Like Vancouver's what five, seven, seven points behind them. They are currently eight, eight points, points, but they have three games in hand. Yeah. So, 
I mean, it's it's not unreasonable. Um, but before we look at the the next half, I want to take a look at our mid year report card. Okay. So I'm gonna field you some questions, and let's see how you handle them and and what you think. So we'll start with uh, pretty pretty easy one here, but. Your most impressive player thus far this season? Well, obviously, you have to say Connor McDavid. But I'm going to rule probably all of your questions that say not including Connor McDavid. Do we want to knock those two out? Uh, him and Drysidle? I don't want to knock Drysidle out. Okay, no, that's fair. Just in case, because I don't know what kind of questions you have coming okay, towards fair, me. Okay, fair, fair. But I will put Stuart Skinner as my most impressive you player. fucker. That's who you wanted to say. Yes. Yeah. Um, Stuart Skinner came in with no expectations and has completely blown the doors off in terms of what he's brought to the team. And he's been a lifesaver with the struggles Campbell has. Yeah. So it's, it's impossible to look at Stuart Skinner and not say that he's been a godsend this year. So I would give him that for sure. There you go. Yeah. I was going to go with Skinner, but, um, I had a number two pick and I think you can't go with, uh, without noticing what Ryan Nugent Hopkins is doing this year. Um, we've kind of felt like he's had a a plateau. Maybe this is what he is as a player, but he's just skyrocketed again and he's having a career year. And I just, uh, I chalk him up as my most impressive player. I thought for sure you'd say Zach Hyman. I'm always impressed with him, but he's, his picture is literally on the wall, (laughs) but new just trajecting up and up and up. This Um, is true. A little bit more steep. Um, Number two, your most, underrated player this far for the recognition that they're getting this year most underrated player let me take a quick look i know there's a lot of different routes you could go here oh i i hate everyone Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> well it's kind of like this question is hard because right. you have like the I'm not going to say overrated players, but the like highly rated players with like your top four and Stuart Skinner, essentially. So the most underrated player on the team, I'm going to go with... God, this is way harder than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> I'm going to have to go with Ryan McLeod. Okay. Okay. A little bit of a homer pick, but that's good. <laughs> I mean, in terms of like underrated players, I think Ryan McLeod is still... He doesn't get the opportunities that I'd like him to get. Yeah, he, he's the he's the underdog for sure. I'd like to see him get some like shifts in the top six to maybe try and flex his offensive acumen a little bit instead of being like stapled to some of the let's just say less talented players on the team. Um, because he's for his age and his experience, he's been quite good. Yeah, for this team, I think it's a good pick. It's a good pick. I'm gonna go with my most underrated player. As Derek Ryan, because I think he's come up big in some spots. He's putting up more goals than I really ever anticipated him. He's for his age and the kind of hockey that we're getting for like his salary and the position that he plays. I think he has a great role on this team. Um, I I just don't think he gets uh, all the recognition that, you know, a, a fourth liner should get. And so that would be my pick. I think that's pretty fair. I think he's, in my opinion, he's pretty rated on pace for, like, the 10 goals or whatever. But I think he's he's been pretty steady back there this year. So um, that's probably a bad thing that it's hard to find underrated <laughs> players on the team. But what can you do? Yeah. All right. 
Now to jump to kind of the bad side of things. Number three, your most disappointing player thus far. Well, it, this question just screams Darnell Nurse and Jack Campbell. Yeah. But I'm going to go off the board, and I'm actually going to say Leon Dreisaitl. What? Yes. I think he's been pretty disappointing this year, more so because, like, if you look at the points, I know we missed two games. He's 15 points back at McDavid. Seems like a pretty large gap. And it seems like he's leaving a lot every game. Like, you watch him go out there, and the way that he plays, he invites contact, right? Yeah. So he wants guys to hit him and try to take the puck. It seems more times than not this year, they get the puck. From him either not moving his feet, getting knocked off the puck really easily, or just straight giving up on the play once the puck's more than a couple feet away from him. Whew. I, I, like how many how padded are his stats from the power play just like mcdavid's probably are but holy like, shit sean what did you eat for breakfast today i want more out of leon dry settle okay i know what he can bring and <laughs> i think it comes down to the five on five on this team it's been disappointing and we need to hold the top players more accountable with damn that. damn okay i'll i'll get that that's a hell of a response um, I was gonna go with yes, a pulley RV, but I mean, like, wow, okay, all right. Um, we'll move on to <laughs> question number four. Is well, I you gotta to talk about up. why yes, a pulley RV? I mean, disappointing. Oh, oh my god, <laughs> yeah, uh, it just point production, uh, consistency's not there. I mean, it never has been. Um, you kind of saw the start to last year where he came out like guns a blazing, throwing his body around. He's starting to find that a little bit now, but like, I figured that he'd be connecting he still just can't fucking connect a puck like from a pass his yeah it's just disappointing goals this year like he should at a halfway point of the year he should be at 10 at least yeah to be on pace for 20 and and a guy making three million dollars a year i get it it's a show yourself year but it's tough when you sign for three million dollars to be like hey like let's see what you can do and you're just like but um okay yeah, I guess I should have justified that, but uh, number four, uh, most impressive win of the year thus far. I wanted to say Colorado. Fuck that! Fuck that! Fuck that! We're not ending on a uh, on a, uh, a a bad note. What you want to end on a happy note? Yeah, yeah. Oh, say number four, most disappointing <laughs> loss this year. Most disappointing loss this year. Ah. <sighs> I know it's recency bias, but it's hard to not look at that Colorado game Ooh. where they're up to nothing against the, guy, the guys who are right behind them in the standings, and they blow a two-goal lead with their stars dominating the game in McKinnon and McCarr, and our stars being relatively quiet. Yeah. I would say I was pretty disappointed in that. I'm sure outside of recency bias, there's another game. Like I know we've had some pretty blown leads this year i think there was a game maybe against winnipeg that we got Mm. stomped and blew like a four goal lead or something but i can't remember off the top of my head that's the problem with putting me on on the spot i know i I know prep time this is good this is good uh my pick is the saturday december 17th game against the fucking anaheim ducks a 2 p.m start which set us up for uber success and just an absolute shithole performance from the team um, that I think that was the game where Leon Drysaddle like threw his stick over the, the the back when he was throwing in going into the room, and um, I think that was a game that 
the Oilers got really, you know, uh, humbled by uh, the performance from the Ducks. So that's that's my uh, uh, pick there. Um, yeah, to the most impressive win. I, I hate ending on on uh, shitty notes. So see the these this question is a lot harder. Because I have to, like, remember back in time. Oh, we've got back-to-backs here, man, we can pick. Because if you're not picking one, I'm picking the other. Uh, well, you you can pick first. I'm going the 4-3 win against the New York fucking Rangers. That comeback in the third period down, and you get Holloway's first goal involved. Uh, a game that I had to look down at my phone and be like, holy shit, uh, I gotta turn this game on. Um... Just a, it, it came out of a slump where the Edmonton Oilers had lost, what, uh, two really bad games in a row to New Jersey and uh, the Islanders as well. Um, so I thought it was just the third in a row, and the Oilers come back uh, with a 4-3 win. i just happy as a clam. Man, this isn't fair. You got prep time. I didn't get any prep time. I guess that, yeah, I guess not, eh? I'm, like, sitting here, like, scrolling through games and be like, which one? <laughs> like, I can't remember which one was, like, the best ones. This is the last question, so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna make you sweat it out any further. <sighs> yeah, don't make me sweat. I can't. I can't think of one. <laughs> this is, this is too much. We, we can park it. I was gonna say the, the, the very next game against, um, Florida. I mean, that, that was a good stretch of games. I'll, I'll go with the 7-2 to game against Seattle. Oh, yeah. Because that was both well-timed the against 30th? a team close to yep. the, in the standings, and they dominated them. They were up, what, 5 nothing before yep. it was even, like, Seattle even got a chance. So That's a solid pick. Solid pick. Um, yeah, that takes care of my little game here. <laughs> I, uh, I think that we've had some ups. We've had some downs, but I think the downs we always over... Uh, overplay them a little bit i think we worry a little bit too much but we have high expectations that's part of being an oilers fan though is it not that's true and to be fair we haven't had too high of highs this season our lows have been fairly low and the highs have not been huge outside of like games like the rangers games yeah yeah uh anything else on your end i think I don't believe so. The only note that we missed was just talking about how uh, Vander Kane is still fifth in Oilers forward scoring uh, uh, with 14 points in 13 games, despite missing 36 games. So a little disappointing there, but uh, you said you didn't want to end on a low note. So uh, do you got uh, something positive? So the Oilers play tomorrow night against the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, tonight, if you're listening, Um San Jose on Friday, Saturday against Vegas, and we'll likely record on either Sunday or Monday. So we'll have those three games to recap. Um, I'm hoping that uh, we're going to get a good turnout against Anaheim to counteract what I just said. Um, I think these are a good stretch of games, these next two for the Oilers, to set them up for Saturday night. Uh, But, I mean, what's going to happen against Vegas? I don't know. I I mean, I hope they come out swinging. That's for sure. And they got some guys who can swing. That's true. That's true. Are you are you talking fists? A little bit of everything. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Three fucking fights in one game? Yeah, when I is the last we, time you saw that? I think we doubled our fight total in one game. That's insane. Maybe maybe that's Dave Manson. Maybe. He's there just like, go. go beat the shit out of everyone. <laughs> that's it. It looked like Hyman was going to destroy, uh, I think it was, was it no? Dersey. Dersey. It was yeah. Dersey. 
he got looked, that. He, he got was that. about to get start swinging, then the refs came in. It was oh very my. disappointing. Oh, he looked eager too because I think he looked back at like Nurse and he's like, "I'm gonna fight him." Yeah, it, it, yeah. And Pulyarvi <laughs> never got the chance to do anything. I know, I he know. Got immediately jerseyed and never got it past his head, so he couldn't start swinging properly. Yeah. That was pretty disappointing. But maybe he needs to start wearing a fight strap or something <laughs> if he's gonna be fighting so much. The uh, the Costin fight though, holy some haymakers being thrown. Uh, that there. was some big boys. Yeah, Costin is scary, and Lemieux is a puke, so it was very interesting. I I couldn't think of a better dichotomy of players to be fighting right there. You have fan favorite versus most hated. Like I think Lemieux though, with the team he plays for, he's generally liked by the team he plays for. Oh, outside I just, of maybe taking bad penalties. I just meant as an Oilers fan, mm. but. I don't know. Maybe that's the new game plan. Maybe we throw a little bit more uh, more body around, throw a little bit more uh, haymakers. Hey, that's why DeHarnay got called up. Six foot six. That's true. Well, we'll add uh, we'll add some more some more weight to this team, and we'll see what happens. Three games. We'll chat with you next week.